0: You're listening to the Godfather and Gourney podcast on rivals.com with your hosts, the Godfather of recruiting, Mike Farrell. The magic underwear's not working, and that's not our fault. And National Analyst Adam Gourney. We're like a one 800 number almost.
1: That's right. Welcome back to another edition of the Godfather and Gorney podcast. My name is Dave Barry, producer of the show. I'm joined by the Godfather, Mike Farrell and national recruiting analyst, Adam Gorney. Guys, we're going to jump into a few different topics here. And uh, Mike, I'll start with you. I know you want to talk uh, some Michigan State and all the uh, controversy surrounding that. So I'll let you get well, I'll started. I'll ask there. Gorny, a
0: quick question because he's a Penn State guy. Is this, uh, is this equal to Penn State? Is this worse than Penn State? Or are we looking at Penn State's, like, sanctions based on everything that you've seen? I know we don't have inside information on it, but, uh, man, it it certainly looks like it's a a pretty serious situation.
1: Yeah, no inside information. It's a little different, obviously, because the person at Penn State who got uh, convicted of this was on staff at the time. There was visual evidence of a coach in a locker room. Uh, There was a court case for the coach who was convicted uh, there was a little bit of a different circumstance, but also very similar. I don't know how much Dr. Larry Nasser had involvement with the Michigan State football or basketball program. I don't know what Mark D'Antonio and Tom Izzo knew. Um, Tom Izzo has been giving you know some answers that uh, didn't exactly satisfy a lot of people. I don't know if Michigan State's lawyers have told him to not say anything. I'm sure he's not going to say anything publicly. Uh, without the advice of lawyers. But it definitely is becoming a precarious situation for those two guys and other people within that um, administration. The 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 president stepped down, I believe. The AD has retired. Um, and so I don't think this investigation is over. I don't think people are going to let this be over um, because what this guy did was, you know, incomprehensible. Uh, the gymnastics team, obviously, all of that stuff. But the trickle down is what's going to be interesting here because it doesn't seem like the story is over uh, and it certainly doesn't seem like outside the lines or ESPN or whoever is up there asking Tom Izzo and Mark D'Antonio questions are going to leave until they get the answers that they feel, you know, that they, they deserve. So it's going to be interesting. I think there are parallels to the Penn State situation, but certainly different uh, characteristics um, with Jerry Sandusky and uh, you know, the involvement of Joe Paterno going to the officials at the school. I don't know how much or how involved Mark D'Antonio was in this or Tom Izzo, but it's certainly, uh, the questions are starting to be asked because it looks like this thing is going to continue for a long time. Yeah. And it
0: appears, you know, when you see an athletic director step down or, or, or get fired, um, you know, in any sort of scandal these days, uh, that's just the start. Um, so the, the, Curious thing here is do Izzo and D'Antonio survive it? Um, You know, there's going to be an investigation into it. We've just started to learn what's going on. But, uh, you know, Magic Johnson tweeted that he, you know, obviously is in support of anybody who didn't say anything or knew about it and didn't say anything should be fired. Uh, And then in another tweet, he completely gave his support to Izzo and wants to work with him to, you know, rectify this situation. I mean, obviously, when your biggest celebrity. Uh, you know whether it's football or basketball, comes out and, and starts talking about firing people. Um, I know he's a big supporter of Izzo, but um, I think I think this is just starting. I, I think this is going to affect uh, recruiting down the line. Uh, but my question is, you know, and I really don't know the ins and outs of the Baylor situation as well as say an insider would or, or somebody who's an investigative reporter, but. Baylor has not been hammered from, from my understanding. What makes this different from Baylor?
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, those situations, the Penn state situation, the the Baylor situation where there was obvious involvement, coaches knew and covered it up and all kinds of things. um, is a little different than where we are with Michigan State. No one knows exactly Tom Izzo's involvement. No one knows Mark D'Antonio's involvement. And when we say involvement, I think what we're saying is, did Tom Izzo or Mark D'Antonio have any inclination that Larry Nasser was doing this or had heard stories of it or did not report hearing stories of it to the president of the school? So I think we're still in the early stages of understanding exactly what they knew If they knew anything and if they failed to report, because that's really what got Joe Paterno, the failure to report, um, even though he went up the chain of command at the school, is that, uh, you know, that's what really did him in in terms of getting fired at Penn State and, you know, tarnishing his name um, is that he didn't report it to the authorities. He just went up the chain of command at the school and people felt that wasn't enough. So uh, it'll be interesting to know if they knew anything, if they had had heard anything, if there was any inclination of knowing anything. And so that really makes me feel like we're at the super early stages of this, and it's far, far from over.
0: Yeah, and in this day and age, nobody escapes. I don't think, um, you know, obviously we're not political people. I I don't really follow politics, and I don't discuss politics, but I know in this culture uh, that we're in, with sexual assault and Hollywood and all of that stuff. It's just, it's going to be one of those things where they're looking for, for a fall guy and maybe, you know, the, the athletic director and president stepping down will be enough, but there's going to be so much pressure as details come out. I think on Izzo and D'Antonio, I'm not really sure. And both of those are obviously tremendous coaches. Izzo has won national championship and D'Antonio took Michigan state to the playoff and is one of the best coaches in college football, but I think there'll be excessive pressure if this becomes uglier. And when you're at the beginning, it's always ugly, but usually it gets uglier. With, with Sandusky, in the beginning it was ugly, and then it got uglier and uglier and uglier, and still things keep coming out. With Baylor, you know, we heard about a few things, and then that just scratched the surface of what was happening there. Um, so,
1: And just think about the Penn State situation too, Mike. This was something that had first been reported, I believe, in 99, then again in 2001. And this really didn't start picking up steam until 2010, 11. So for Michigan State people out there, this is really, I think, just the start of this in terms of an investigation and the NCAA getting way more involved and possibly, you know, other authorities getting involved to see if there was some sort of I don't want to say this word "cover up," but anything that anybody knew, um, because this is not the first time uh, at a at a major institution, even a Big Ten school, that something like this happened. So expect this to be sort of a years long kind of situation. Um, if if Izzo and D'Antonio knew absolutely nothing, then there was then there's nothing to worry about. Um, but you know, Izzo's answers over the last couple of days that he's in you know, involved, you know, he's cooperated in every investigation and he will continue to, Um, you know, that's kind of been the the party line uh, from that side of it. But uh, I'm sure that the the investigation will be ongoing and very lengthy.
0: Well, you know, the Penn State situation as well as anybody, there were a lot of people who felt that the NCAA shouldn't get involved with that at all. Um, But they did. Now, again, they backed off of some of the sanctions after a few years, but they got involved. So if there is any inkling of a cover-up or knowledge, uh, this is why I don't understand what's going on at Baylor, whether that's still an open investigation or not, but it was clear that there was, you know, knowledge of of sexual assaults occurring and not taking the proper uh, actions uh, to remove players from the roster um, and and report for Title IX and everything else. I I guess... I just don't understand why, you know, I know it was more egregious at Penn State for obvious reasons, but anytime something like this occurs and and there's any knowledge in the athletic department, everybody who knows it, who covered it up should be fired. And and there should be penalties, uh, NCAA sanctions. There should be scholarships lost, you know, bowl games, whatever. So I guess it's confusing to me how they went, They went in on Penn State, which doesn't confuse me, um, then backed off the sanctions. You know, it's still still obviously there were sanctions, but um, they backed off. And now we don't know whether the NCAA is going to get involved or not. I I just don't see the difference here. That's what confuses me the most about this stuff. And uh, where's the line? You know, is this criminal or is this athletic? Is this you know title 9 is is definitely works in conjunction with the police uh but there's a separation there's a university policy for some things and then there's a police policy for other things and they don't always mesh a buddy of mine works in title 9 and uh you know it, it's very very confusing so i don't know it, it, that's what confuses me the most
1: yeah I, I and and obviously i'm not a lawyer uh Thank God. But, um, you know, um, it it, it is confusing situations because obviously there was if if what happened at Baylor is true, there is a criminal cover up. Um, Just like if, uh, you know, at Penn State there, you know, they brought in Louis Free for the free report. There were investigations. There were, you know, all kinds of things involved. So you would think in a case where a doctor who was, uh, I don't know what the right word, I'll say abusing uh, gymnastics people at Michigan state, uh, many of them, uh, that, 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 you know, that's obviously a criminal thing. So anyone who knew of that and didn't report it or didn't, uh, you know, bring it to light, um, would that be a criminal act too, or would that be just university policy? So that's something for the lawyers to determine. All I know is that this investigation is far from over. No, one's just going to leave East Lansing and say that no one knew anything. Um, a doctor who was abusing women over a long period of time, many women, those women have come out, uh, you know, Michigan state's president and athletic director are already gone. I, I, find it hard to believe that this thing just stops overnight.
0: And I hate talking about this stuff, you know, cause a, first of all, I'm not smart enough to figure it all out and I'm not an investigative reporter. So I don't dig into, you know, um, hundreds of pages of legal documents and, and all that. I You know, I read what is put out there, um, you know, and then when you do get, you know, any sort of notice of infractions or whatever, I read it. But sometimes the, the language on it is so uh, technical. ambiguous or technical or, you know, I mean, it's just it's one of those things where uh, Title IX was originally used to not discriminate on the basis of sex and gender uh, in education and employment programs and activities. Uh, but then there's the, you know, pro- prohibition of sexual and gender based harassment, sexual assault, sexual exploitation, uh, stalking, all that stuff that that flies in, into the picture when you're dealing with a situation like this. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I, I think, again, we could be a, a year away from hearing anything on something like this. But uh, or they could act very, very quickly. I mean, how quick did they act on Penn State?
1: Uh well, uh, from the time that this, the the Sandus- Sandusky accusations came out to the time of his trial was um almost almost a
0: decade. But
1: uh, so, but
0: when they fired Joe Pa during the end of the, yeah. the end of the season, and the NCAA came in with their sanctions, I believe it was in July. So right within eight months, the NCAA just pretty much tried to put the death penalty on Penn state after right. he got fired.
1: And, and the trickle down too. Mike is Mike McQuarrie who reported saying it will probably never work in college football again. Jay Paterno who had, there was no involvement. No, no one ever said in any investigation that he had any sense of this will never work again in college football. So, you know, those are the things, the trickle down things. Mark D'Antonio might be gone. I don't know. Tom Izzo might be gone, but you know look at his assistants there are so many people within that university system who could have who might have known something might have heard something might have whispered something and that's really what got a lot of those penn state guys is that they something something or might have known something but didn't report it up the chain of command properly and so those people will all be gone i can say this from from following the penn state situation closely is that they're going to get rid of everybody they're going to lawyer up and pay you know pay you know, the people that need to be paid and they're going to move on as fresh as possibly can be. So, um, you know, if anybody knew anything on those staffs, you know, that's going to be part of an investigation that I think will be ongoing. And
0: as you and I know, everybody knows everything. People knew this is my opinion, of course, and, and, you know, this isn't fact, but my opinion is everybody knows everything. Um, You know, it took so long for the Penn State stuff to come out, but now we're learning that it wasn't exactly a secret. Uh, and so when Outside the Lines comes out and says that there's a pattern of widespread denial, inaction and information suppression, that's not just the president and the athletic director. That means somebody else in that athletic department knew. And, and if D'Antonio didn't know or if Izzo didn't know, I'd be very, very surprised. but. Um, but again, that's just my opinion. I don't have any facts to back that up, and I'm certainly not trying to, um, you know, invoke any response. I know Michigan State fans are obviously extremely upset, um, as were Penn State fans, as were Baylor fans. Many of them embarrassed by this. Um, there Draymond Green came out and uh, in, in support of the victims, but also in support of any alumni that feel embarrassed by this because. It's it's not what you want for your favorite team at all. Um, It's bigger than that. But, you know, he said as a diehard Spartan fan and an alumnus and a supporter, I wish those who were affected, touched by it, broken by it, shaken, whatever it did to you, I wish them well in the recovery because it touches everybody in a different way, whether you're a supporter uh, and kills your pride or whether you're a victim and you're going through the things that you're going through. So I thought that was well said. Uh, from a guy who's usually not well spoken (laughs) about things Um, but you know anyways we'll we'll have to see but uh we got more scandal in college football and and this is the stuff that you know I just don't like to cover but we had to address it obviously and again we're probably two of the least knowledgeable people when it comes to stuff like this Uh, yeah we're not investigative reporters at all but uh it's certainly something that's going to be utilized in recruiting as well as, as, as horrible as it sounds, there's no doubt from the, from the moment that came out that that other schools are using this against Michigan state, that's recruiting, that's negative recruiting that exists, and it will never stop. So let's move on to less serious topics. I was trying to find some hot teams, Um, you know, since the early signing period, there haven't been a ton of commitments. Because most of them committed. I I think the number was 91% of FBS scholarship kids committed in the early signing period. So it's been a trickle here and there. So I was going through the conferences to try to find a hot team uh, for each conference. And it was pretty easy to find a hot team in, in the Big Ten, Nebraska, and we can talk about them in a second, and the ACC with Florida State with Dennis Briggs' commitment expected to happen today as well. By the time a lot of people listen to this, he should be committed to Florida State. And, of course, they just flipped Xavier Peters from Kentucky. Um, but UCLA was the one I got in the Pac-12, Oklahoma, with just two commitments since the early signing period, was the one I came up with in the Big 12. And <laughs> Big and Auburn had three commitments, and they're the one I came up with in the SEC. There's just not a lot of commitments out there. So Nebraska, though, certainly is hot. They were 60-something, uh, yeah. and now they're in the top 20 nationally. They're number four in the conference prior to, uh, I think the early signing period ending, they were second to last in the big 10. So they are absolutely on a roll with Florida kids and, and obviously again, Cam Jones from Texas as well.
1: And, and that's the interesting thing. And that's the Scott Frost connection that I think can continue paying dividends is the, the previous staff, Mike Riley looked to go to California with, You know, pretty good success, Uh, not tremendous success for the effort that they put in, I thought. But, you know, Scott Frost has a lot of connections in Florida. He was obviously wildly successful at UCF and he's, you know, built a lot of relationships there. And so for him to go down there and get, you know, Braxton Clark and Miles Jones and especially Dominic Watt and CJ Smith, that is very, very good for them. Um, You know, he's, you know, lock him up and sign him now (laughs) if, if he could. Uh, and then to go to Texas and get Cam Jones. So we all know Nebraska can't really recruit in state. The region is tough um, because there's just not enough talent to, to field those skill positions uh, that he's going to want to run up there and, and the offense that he's going to want to run. But having that success in Florida is huge. Getting it to Texas for a D-back, a four-star defensive back is huge. Um, so he's done a phenomenal job. So, yeah, like you said, it's really been kind of slow. Um, kids are taking visits, but... All the kids who haven't committed are, you know, usually going to wait until around signing day, if not on signing day. Now, um, with the early signing period, that that you know weeds out about ninety percent of the kids uh, who are already signed. So, you know, he's done a phenomenal job there in only a couple weeks to dip back into places that he knows really well and to get some top kids.
0: Yeah, and, and Taggart is starting to have that momentum that that I expected early. It was a little shaky at first. Um, you know, there were a lot of kids that. I think we negative recruiting was being used saying he only stayed there for a year. He's not going to stay here. Uh, I thought more kids would gravitate towards Florida state and they would have a really strong early signing period. Um, Jaden would be sort of save them a bit. Uh, and remember there were a couple kids that weren't going to sign like A.G. and Leighton um, that decided to sign. But originally it looked like they were going to have, you know, maybe seven or eight kids sign in the early signing period. Um, but now it seems to – the momentum seems to have picked up. Cameron McDonald, um, you know, is now a commitment for Florida State coming from his commitment to USC. Uh, Jalen Goss was added for offensive line help. But the big one is Xavier Peters. I love this kid at Under Armour. Um, I think he's going to be an absolute star. Um, he was one of those kids where I didn't want to overreact. I saw I saw uh, athletically and, and say, okay, this is a five-star based on one week because it's a whole body of work type of thing. But his potential is is very, very high. His ceiling's very high. Um, And then Dennis Briggs, the defensive end that we've obviously scouted for over a couple years, is supposed to announce his commitment to Florida State. So they're getting the momentum going at at, at FSU, and uh, I think Taggart's the right fit. They were in the 60s, and now they're ready to jump into the top 25.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's still, you know, they had a lot of work to do after that, even after the early signing period when they got would-be, uh, it was looking really shaky there for a while because for about six months they didn't have a commitment. Um, and then they got Woodby, uh, you know, to flip. And, you know, he had been committed to Ohio State for a long time, um, flipped to Florida State after a late visit, got Isaiah Bolden, uh, who I believe was committed to Oregon when Taggart was there, and now, you know, back at Florida State. Uh, and then, and then you know, has, has done really well, flipping Xavier Peters, um, who, you, who you really like. Cameron McDonald's kind of a flex tight end who should really fit into Taggart's system really well. Uh, going to get Dennis Briggs, it looks like, and then we'll be fine. Um, only 13 commitments, so a little work to do. 26 nationally. Florida State fans expect them to be in the top 5 or 10 every year. Uh, I don't think they're probably not going to get there this year, but uh, you know, usually this first recruiting class, I don't want to say is a throwaway class, but is certainly... Uh, Taggart will be judged much more on the 2019 class. And so uh, I think from where they were when we've, you know, said this multiple times, Jimbo Fisher just stopped recruiting and didn't really care who they were going to get to, to where they are now credit to Taggart. And he's already started on 2019 uh, really, really well. So, you know, Willie Taggart's not going to have a tough time recruiting Florida. He's from there. Uh, He has a great connection with the kids. He didn't have a tough time recruiting at Oregon. He's, he's always a great recruiter. Um, so I don't think that's going to be an issue moving and forward. And then
0: Auburn's currently rated ahead of Alabama. I don't know when the last time that has happened, that they're the number seven class in the country. Alabama's number nine now. Probably won't finish that way, but they've done a good job. Um, you know, Anthony Schwartz committed at Under Armour. and He's a speedster. Uh, they got Harold Joyner, who's an athlete, who can play both either side of the ball, and uh, another athlete, Roger McCreary. But again, they were the hottest team I could find in the SEC. There just wasn't a lot. Now, Tennessee did a really good job uh, during the early signing period, but, um, there just haven't been a lot of SEC commitments. I think Florida did a pretty good job during the early signing period as well, but for Auburn to be number seven ahead of Alabama, again, even if they don't finish that way, uh, if they finish with the top 10 class, they're my hot team for the SEC, at least right this very moment.
1: Yeah. Three of the top five kids in the state are committed to Alabama or to Auburn uh Justin Ross undecided probably goes to I would say Clemson maybe Alabama so Auburn is doing really really well in state um it's just weird it's it's like a week and a half or a week before signing day and it just doesn't feel like things are ramping up in a crazy way like they usually do at this time where you're just constantly chasing kids and kids are flipping and going here and there and everywhere else it just seems much more mellow and, and, and calm down. It, It feels like the early signing period is when all of that happened, right? You know, the week and a half before Christmas, the week and a half, right? Leading up to early, the early signing period is when a lot of that stuff happened. But the day of early signing period, which I liked was, you know, really went along pretty smoothly. There wasn't a lot of crazy stuff going on. And so I don't know if this early signing period is I think it's going to become the, the, the time when people to, for them to sign and this late signing period is going to be for people who really have a problem figuring out where they're going to go. Uh, with official visits moved up now, I think that's going to help kids make decisions earlier. I don't know if it's good for them or not, but, um, it just doesn't feel like, you know, you you usually feel about this time that you need to pop a few pills and calm down a little bit, but, uh, It doesn't seem like that's happening this time. It just seems like there's only a a handful of kids that haven't made their decisions at all. Um, Between the early signing period, the All-Star Games, everything else, um, there aren't many people left on the board. No,
0: which sort of uh, leads to the the decision that you're looking the most forward to. For me, and we'll skip down to that, um, it's Justin Ross. You had mentioned him earlier. He had been a Clemson lean at least – by sources for the longest time um you know and he's an Alabama kid and rarely do five-star kids coveted by Nick Saban you know get out of Alabama sometimes they lose him to Auburn but rarely do they let him get out of state but now uh after an official visit and an in-home visit with Nick Saban the momentum is pushed towards Alabama uh there's I guess his grandmother wants him to stay home and uh, I think that one's going to be very intriguing because Clemson is wide receiver you when it comes to putting guys in the NFL, I think over the last few years, um, you know, but Alabama certainly has, you know, uh, Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley will be a first rounder. Um, we saw what their freshmen can do this year. Uh, they there are no slouches when it comes to producing wide receivers as well. So that's the one that I'm looking forward to the most.
1: Yeah, the, the Ross one is very interesting. Patrick Sertain is very interesting. Everybody thinks he's going to LSU, but now Bama's getting involved. Can, the, can Bama just go in and just take a kid that had been leaning toward LSU for a very long time? And then the one that's a real wild card, even for me, and I've you know really covered his recruitment the entire time, is uh, Elijah Griffin. Um, you know, Everybody tells me that he's going to go to USC. His family wants him to stay home. Uh, His dad is Warren G., the rapper. I guess he doesn't fly. So I think that's going to be a consideration to see him play in games. But the kid just continues to visit SEC schools. He seems to be enamored with the conference. He was at Alabama this weekend. Tennessee is very, very involved. Uh, So I think, uh, you know, if the kid had, you know, his choice, I think he's probably leaning toward going to an SEC school. Uh, But we all know that this decision is much bigger than one person and there's a lot of influences in people's lives and not to say it's negative at all. It's just, um, you know, just you know, how it kind of is going to play out. I don't know how it's going to play out in the final week here. If I had to guess, if someone, if I had to put money down, I think he ends up at USC. Um, but he has shown a ton of interest in this last month, especially since going to the Under Armour game about going to play in the SEC. Yeah.
0: And we've got, I think seven, five stars that haven't made their decision and about 20 in the rivals, uh, 100. So there's still a lot of interesting decisions uh, that are out there to be made. You know, Jamar Chase is a kid uh, that now is leaning towards LSU, and he was supposed to be a lock for TCU. Uh, Nick petit Frere, a new five-star, not sure where he's going to go. Alabama, obviously, has moved into the picture there, and, you know, Florida was supposed to be a lock for him. So a lot of these kids that waited and decided not to make their commitment or sign early are still... Going through the process and uh, trying to figure things out, so I think that'll affect the team rankings quite a bit. Alabama's involved with quite a few guys. I mean, if they get certain, they get Petit Frere. Um, you know, they get Justin. They get, they get Justin Ross. Ross. I mean, yeah. again, I don't think they have enough to push up to number one. I, I think they're they're not going to finish first this year for the you know one of the rare times. I think it's only happened twice in the last 11 years that they haven't finished first. Um, I think Georgia's got that pretty much wrapped up at this point in time. But they are going to finish like two or three if if things go the way they want them to go. And then all the people freaking out about Alabama being number nine right now and, you know, not having a great early signing period can settle down because they just reload as expected. And, uh, you know, Texas is an interesting one because I I have Oklahoma as the hot team in, in the big 12 just because they got bookie, uh, Radley Hiles. And, um, you know, that was a big commitment for them. And, uh, there haven't been a lot of, there haven't been a lot of big 12 commitments at all, um, recently. So when you, when you put him in there with, uh, Deshaun White who committed on the same day and Nick Benito who announced at Under Armour, they've got some good momentum going as well. UCLA was very interesting to me though. They're very, very active, obviously picking up commitments But for every Chris Murray and Elijah Wade, there's there's a reach, Um, you know, and it's kind of interesting to watch this happen because, you know, Chip Kelly is coming in here and transitional classes at Florida State are going well. Nebraska going well, Florida going well. I don't know how well it's going at UCLA.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because what he did he came in and they had a they had a recruiting class uh, I wouldn't say completed but it was certainly filled out um, and I believe a double-digit number of kids decommitted now was that as the term goes processing them and saying that you know they're reevaluating and they, they don't have a spot in this class I'm sure some of that happened because who wouldn't want to play for chip Kelly in his first year at UCLA I think a lot of kids would love that opportunity but he came in and really kind of worked this recruiting class the way that he thought it should go. And and there are some reaches in this class. Um, you know, I think they did a great job with Brian Ad, uh, Brian Addison. Uh, the kid, Casimir Allen, put up huge numbers in his senior year. Chase Coda, obviously a very talented kid. They flipped Bo Calvert from USC. Uh, the Tony Moffy kid was... Uh, was pretty much all set for Cal until he took a late visit there. So there have been some successes. I love Elijah Wade. I think he's a special player. Uh, but there are there are some reach, reaches. The, the Elisha Guidry kid, um, you know, didn't have many high-level offers. Uh, Javari Anderson, you know, Patrick Jolly from uh, Florida. Baraka Beckett is a two-star kid uh, who was probably going to end up at UNLV or a smaller school. So there are some kids, uh, you know, I think – Kenny Churchwell, a recent commit, could be a safety linebacker type who I like a lot. Daylon Hurt, uh, a very talented two-way kid. So he, he's done a nice job on some kids, but on others, you know, I would say definite reaches at this point to fill out the class. Yeah, so
0: moving moving towards uh, NFL stuff, NFL draft stuff, we, we did, um, you know, take, I mean, a rival views on uh, who who made the worst decision to come out. You had Kyle Allen. uh from Houston coming out in the draft for no reported reason. I don't understand why he's, you know, did right. that. But, it, you know, it's similar to Brad Kaya last year. It was like, what, why is he coming out? There's no reason to do that. Went late and ended up sticking with the team. But um, And I went with Ray Ray McLeod. I could have easily gone with Khalil McKenzie, but that was just too easy. I, I, I didn't even consider... Khalil McKenzie from Tennessee because he really doesn't have any body of work that that tells me that he should even be drafted. Now, he will be because he's a big defensive tackle. Uh, But there's so many guys, as I look up and down the early entry list, that should not have left. Just absolutely amazing. And Nick Saban said it. He said about 50% of them that declare early you're making a mistake. I'm not sure if that's the case, but um, there's a whole lot of guys on this list that are going to be very, very unhappy. They're they're going to either be drafted in the sixth or seventh round, or they're not going to be drafted at all, and then they're going to have to do the old, you know, tryout with the team thing. And and the disadvantage now with the NFL and the new rule is, you know, there are no cut days. You stay with that team throughout the preseason, and then they cut all at once. So you have very little time yeah. to sort of scramble uh, before if you were cut by the Chargers, you know, the first cut down roster cut down, then you could try to catch on with somebody else. But with everybody being cut down at the same time, I think there's going to be a lot of kids that are, you know, really regretting their decision. But, you know, it happens every year. I just think it seems more prominent this year. Um, We've got 20 former five stars that are declaring early, Um, you know, and that's not a surprising number. It's a little bit higher. Uh, But for every Josh Rosen who could be number one overall, there's a Ray Ray McLeod or Khalil McKenzie.
1: So, so are, are these, there's this many people getting bad advice? I mean, do they think that they're? does Ray, Ray McLeod who really has been, I would say sort of a disappointment at Clemson. I thought he was going to go in there and be a dynamic player. He's really kind of just been average. I think, uh, does he think he's a round round possibility? Does he think he can go to the combine and wow, they so can. many people, I mean, they get, they uh, get know, their projection. Yeah. That's
0: what I know. Amazing
1: about I know. That. So I, I know. And, and they set a record this number. If there's if there's one positive from this and it's on the backs of a lot of people who are going to be disappointed, it's that kids next year go, I'm not coming out early. This look at look at what happened to this kid or that kid or this kid. This kid's out of the league. This kid's playing in the CFL. I'm going to take my time and and do it right. Because 100 I think there's a I think the number finished at 106. I saw 112 and 114 somewhere. So there are a tremendous amount. So there's only 64 picks in the first two rounds. So you know, almost half of that list is guaranteed not to be picked in the first two rounds. If it was all just underclassmen, so uh, there are a lot of names on this list. Uh, I picked Kyle Allen, who would lost his job to uh, you know at Houston this year. He's already transferred. Uh, you know, if, if 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 he's thinking anything, it must be that a fresh start in the NFL, just latching onto a team and trying to prove himself that way. But Ray, Ray McLeod and Dion Kane are coming out. You know, are they, are they both first round picks? Khalil McKenzie really hasn't done a whole lot of Tennessee and his dad's the general manager of the Oakland Raiders. Why, why is he in a rush to come out? So there's just a lot of kids who, you know, scratch your head. Uh, Lamar Jackson's a guy you mentioned. I, I don't have a problem with him coming out. I think he can, you know, be a first round draft pick. Um, I think a lot of teams are probably telling him probably, pretty good things, even in a very, very deep quarterback group. Um, but there are some guys on here that d- haven't really even been successful in college. So why are they leaving early? Yeah. All and,
0: you know, Josh Sweat's another five star that's coming out and I'm not really sure why. And, you know, just Matthew Thomas is another five star stars coming out and it just makes no sense. But, um, you know, the reason I put Lamar Jackson on that list is because it is such a strong quarterback class and, um, and I think next year is certainly not nearly as strong. And I think he would have had a better chance to possibly be one of those top 10, top 15 picks in next year's draft, as opposed to this year, where I think he could easily slide to the second or third round um, because there's a lot of questions about whether he's a, a true quarterback and whether he can hold up physically at the NFL level. Um, but again, he's done everything you can do at the college level, so I mean, I, I see why he's leaving. There's no more challenge for him left, and Louisville's not exactly getting better. Uh, They got worse this year, and they just hired Brian Van Gorder, which I don't understand uh, at all (laughs) as a defensive coordinator. So um, that would be more opportunities for Lamar on offense, certainly. uh, But I guess uh, it's just, I do disagree with one thing you said, though. Kids will not learn. They will not learn. They're not going to learn. Forget about it. It's just like, you know, we've been doing, I've been doing recruiting for 20 years or so. And you think kids wouldn't learn to, you know, they, they would learn not to go into a crowded depth chart. Um, you know, yeah. remember the whole USC with Mark Tyler and, and uh, um, oh, man, who were the other running backs? It was 100 years ago, but uh, Emmanuel Moody huh. was one of them. And they, they, they had like, right. I mean, it couldn't be more loaded at running back. I think Broderick Green was another. And they just don't learn. They, you know, they don't care. They think they're better than everybody else and they're going to go to school and, you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, look at Najee Harris. Najee is the fourth-string running back at Alabama. Uh, at, at best, he's going to be the backup this year because I don't think he's going to beat out Damian Harris. So there's two years of his career. Now, will it hurt him? No, he might pull the Derrick Henry in his, in his next year and, and go crazy and win the Heisman. But they don't look at depth charts and these kids don't look at guys ahead of them that made poor decisions. What they're going to see is they're going to see, you know, a Rasheem Green come out and maybe be a late first-round draft pick uh, or a Trenton Thompson. uh, Or, you know, they're going to focus on the underclassmen uh, like, you know, Barkley and and Rosen and guys like that, and they're going to say, well, that's me. Uh, But they get so much information ahead of this decision, that's the scary part about it, and I just don't think they're going to learn. So. Whatever. I mean, listen, that's just life. Uh, there's bigger problems in life than, than declaring early for the NFL draft and you know trying to make a career out of that. So, the Senior Bowl. What'd you think?
1: I love the Senior Bowl. I, it's like one of my things that I follow every year and get really excited about. And now that we're doing a lot of NFL draft stuff, I, I follow pretty closely. I've been to Mobile before. Awesome seafood, which if anyone knows me, I eat all the time. (laughs) And so I think the, you know, I think Baker Mayfield is starting to shed the bad reputation. Teams are going to overlook it and they're going to draft him high. I think he could be the, the third quarterback taken off the, off the list. It'll be Rosen probably to the giants. Um, he'll sit behind Eli for a year or two and then be the guy there. Darnold will be a top five pick, which I'm not completely sold on, but we'll see. And then I think Baker Mayfield could be in the 8, 9, 10 range. It would be interesting to see if the Jets want him uh, really early to kind of spark something there. Um, but, you know, everybody was like, oh, Baker Mayfield played well. He played in the game. He was a competitor that they were surprised by that. Of course, that's what he that's what he always does and what he always did. It's none of that is the question, um, you know. Uh, I think him getting there late might have been a little bit of a concern to start the week off with a little bit of a hiccup. But when he was in Mobile, it seemed like he really, you know, people fell in love with him. NFL teams are going to fall in love with him, and I think he's really helped his his stock to be a top. And 10 the guy
0: player. that I think everybody's going to fall in love with is Marcus Davenport, the defensive end who's just a monster, um, who's super athletic, uh, great first step, powerful, um, just raw. But I think he's going to be a guy that goes in the top ten of the draft as a defensive end. So, you know, a lot of the focus was on the quarterbacks and Josh Allen. And everybody was impressed with Josh Allen as far as, you know, he threw a couple touchdown passes and showed some touch on the ball rather than just drilling it in there. Uh, I still don't believe in him, you know, because, again, the competition he's faced, he has not done well. I would take Baker Mayfield over him in a second. But I think Marcus Davenport's the guy to keep an eye on because it is not a great defensive end class. You know, you got Bradley Chubb as your number one guy for sure. Then after that, pass rushers are hard to find. Defensive tackles aren't, but pass rushers are very hard to find. So watch out for this kid as well. Um, and, and you know, I, I think the senior bowl is, is nice. I don't love it as much as you do. Because um, again, it's not a full comparison. You, you don't have The underclassmen out there, and you know, trying to tackle Saquon Barkley and you know, Derwin James out there running around. But it is fun from a scouting aspect to to look at and and see who does what. But, um, last topic before we get out of here is so who's going to finish strong, Gorney? I know you mentioned LSU. Why do you think LSU?
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if things fall into place for LSU, they could they could finish really strong. Um, I'm not sold that it's going to happen, but it certainly could. If they get certain, that's one five-star. Jamar Chase, who a lot of people thought, like you said, was going to go to TCU, that could be another one. Um, and so I think that that's two guys right there in the top whatever, uh, wherever Jamar Chase is ranked. Um, th- that, that, that could be good for them. The problem with me picking LSU is that they can completely tank, too. Um, if Sertain goes to Alabama and Jamar Chase has second thoughts and goes back to TCU or goes somewhere else, uh, it could look really ugly for them. Um, but uh, Jamar Chase is 67th in the country. Uh, but I'm going to go with LSU having a, having a nice close. Um, I think Florida State will probably have their fair share of guys that they close strong with. Um and then I think USC could have a, a pretty good close. Julius Irvin, who I absolutely love at safety, he's moved up into the top 100. Uh, is probably going to go to USC this week. Um, you know, I think uh, Oregon might have us have a pretty strong. You know, Elijah Griffin is going to probably go to USC. So, uh, you know, I think USC, LSU are the two teams to watch heading into signing day. Also, Texas a especially if they get Jalen Waddell, which it looks like it's going to happen. Uh, that's a five-star receiver who I think could have an immediate I'm going to show you how to do there. this.
0: Ready? Because this is the answer the answer for the last 10 yes. years. I, I think gonna Alabama is going to close strong, and I think USC is <laughs> going to close strong. I think that those two programs are going to yeah. push their way up the rankings. Right now, one of them's ninth, one of them's 11th. I think they'll both be in the top five before all is said and done. That's why I get paid the big bucks. That's why everybody listens to everything I say. Um because I can come out with stuff like that. I, I really do believe Alabama is going to just close and take Ross. I th- it wouldn't surprise me if they took Certain, um, you know, on and on. They're going to pull a surprise. They always do. Um, so, what?
1: If they get Certain, Petit, uh, I don't know how the numbers would work out, but if they get Certain, Petit, Free Air, Ross, and Elijah Griffin, they would have to be, I would imagine,
0: I don't think they'd be number, number one, one, right? They, the, <clears throat> they, yeah, they I don't would be up they there. Can I mean, Georgia's Georgia. got seven five-stars. Right. right, and if they get Tyson exactly. Campbell, that'd be eight. I don't think that's ever been done. Or I think it's been done once. Yeah. USC did it once. Oh, yeah, two,
1: 2004 years. Right. So I don't think they yeah. can catch
0: them even if they do finish that strong because right now they're, they're a solid 900 points behind them. But still...
1: But that would be amazing if, if we got the – since recruiting rankings don't matter and stars don't matter, that Georgia and Alabama had the top two recruiting classes of two months after playing in the It'd national championship. would really, be really, really weird
0: if that happened. But but recruiting – Coincidences. Which, which bodes well, I think, for a Texas or, or somebody like that because they're going to start recruiting at the level where they're going to finish top five every year. And I think Texas will probably be in that playoff slash national championship range – Within the next two three years so there's hope there and ohio state is number two right now and they're always going to be a playoff contender penn state number four right now uh having a great recruiting year uh for them as well so the the rich get richer i suppose and you know when looking at our top 10 there's no surprises i mean it's hard to pick one georgia ohio state texas penn state miami Oklahoma, Auburn, Notre Dame, Alabama, and LSU. I guess Miami would be the biggest surprise at number five because they hadn't recruited under Al golden and and, and others uh, to that level. but you know, they had a really good year. They played for the ACC title. And then the program that's really getting sort of screwed here is Clemson because they don't they don't have a big class yeah. but they're averaging four stars per recruit. And on paper, you could make an argument that they have the best class in the country when it comes to quality. Now, uh, there's an average star ranking that's higher than them. Both USC and Georgia have an average star ranking higher than them, but they don't have Trevor Lawrence. Um, Georgia's got Justin Fields, who's pretty good at number two. And uh, obviously, JT Daniels is number four, so there's not a huge difference, but... I think the drop down from Trevor Lawrence to Fields and Daniels for me is 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 a fairly steep one. So you could make a you could make a case that Clemson has the best class in the country as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and yes, the the numbers are are hurting them. Um, but Xavier Thomas is a beast. KJ Henry, I mean, go down the list. Uh, Trevor Lawrence. You know, if you could put eleven people on on a football field. You know, Clemson has fifteen really, really good ones, and and you know the the second most five stars out of anybody. If it wasn't for Georgia just going completely ballistic and getting five stars every other day, uh, you know, Clemson would have the most five stars in the in the in the, in the entire country. So, you know, Clemson at twelve is really deceiving there because you know, like you said, other than USC and Georgia, average star rating that and there was there, a time where so. they
0: led for uh, Jamari Sawyer and Kate Mays. Uh, so Georgia has beaten them head-to-head in, in recruiting battles like that straight up. So I think Clemson-Georgia is going to be a really interesting recruiting matchup to watch. Everybody says Georgia-Alabama is Kirby Smart, is, you know, the, the protege and, and, you know, learning from the master. But Clemson and Georgia are going to be in some some serious battles. So let's get out of here. gorney has got some fun things planned for today, clearly. And uh, I got to get out of here, too, because I've been on here long enough. All right. Well, we'll see you guys again next week. We'll talk uh, more signing day as as we inch closer to that. So for Adam Gorney, he is on
1: Twitter at Adam Gorney and Mike Farrell at Rivals Mike. I am Dave Barry at Real Dave Barry on Twitter. We will see you guys again next week.